I've been uh, waiting for two months, two and a half, three months, something like that for this Sunday. I told you the very first Sunday that I preached, my two favorite things about my job are baptizing people and, and serving communion. Those are the two things that we do in the church that you can't get anywhere else. You can go to Walmart down the road and get whatever it is that you need. But you can't get your sins forgiven. You can't have a community built around the body and blood of Christ. And you can't be sent out of that place to serve people. That's what we do here. We have a monopoly on that. And that is what we are about together as a community. I'm going to go through this passage a little by little. I'm not going to do one of those things where it's like break it down verse by verse and teach on it. I want to read through it a little, and I'm going to stop at certain points to explain to you why this passage is important for us as a community when we take communion. And not just us as a community, but the church worldwide. This is a vitally important passage when it comes to communion for us. So the first thing you need to know is that community and communion come from the same root word. So somebody, let's just shout out, when I say the word community, what are the things you think of? Togetherness, Togetherness support. friends, support, people, people. family, family. love, neighbors, neighbors. Encouragement. encouragement. I'm not going to repeat them, just start yelling them out. about being called out, being held accountable, <clears throat> loyalty. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I've eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He knew something was coming, and here's why. For several days prior to this, Jesus and his friends had been going into town, going to Jerusalem. You remember the story of the triumphal entry. We call it Palm Sunday, where Jesus was coming in. It was kind of a, I'll tell you more about this in the springtime, so keep coming. Um, he comes into the triumphal entry, or comes in through the gate of the city on one side, and it's a political protest. They're waving palms to him like he's a king. And what would happen on the day when Passover feast would happen the Romans would come into the city to try to make sure that the Jews didn't get out of hand and get too wild and maybe that there was going to try to be something overthrowing the government. So it's very likely that on one side of the city, Jesus and his friends were coming in and they were waving palms in the air like they would when a king would come in and they're yelling, Hosanna, which means save us. And on the other side of the city were coming in Roman soldiers with saddles creaking and armor chinking, swords sharpened, and on this side comes the Prince of Peace. He comes into the city and he starts to preach at the temple. But it wasn't sermons of like, oh, God loves you. It was sermons like, you brood of vipers. What are you doing? This is supposed to be a house of prayer. But instead, you're selling doves and sheep and all these animals for sacrifice at a price much higher than they should be sold at. You're trying to make a profit off of the God, the creator of the world. And he gets angry. How many of you have ever been told anger is a bad thing? Raise your hand, Elise. And Emily. <laughs> <laughs> anger is not bad. 
It's when it's just a pure reaction that it's bad. When you're proactive with your anger, it's not a bad thing. When you recognize, here's the emotion that I'm feeling, I'm going to choose anger with this emotion because anger is a secondary emotion. Primary emotions that cause anger are things like frustration, disappointment, pain. When you feel those things, physical or emotional, you oftentimes, we oftentimes, will react with anger. Just uh, Friday afternoon, the girls and Michelle and I were in Lincoln, and Michelle was telling us a story that they use in elementary schools, apparently, about being a soda can or a water bottle. Because we had knocked over a soda can, and you know the trick when you knock over a soda can, or some of us when we knock over a beer, we tap the top of it, you know? Everybody seen anybody do that? Mike, I know you've seen that. <laughs> you tap the top of it a few times. Why do you do that? But that doesn't work. You know that doesn't do anything, right? It just slows the thing down. It keeps you from opening it while it's still pressurized. It gives it time to settle down. <laughs> Honestly, so you tap it ten times, and it, and it gives it time to not be so pressurized. Well, Jesus felt pressurized. He walked in, and he saw all this stuff happening, and so he decided to tap ten times to become more like a water bottle instead of a pressurized soda. And he sits down on the edges of the temple steps, and he starts to braid a whip. He's brooding. It's not just that he's a little upset he is trying to decide how much anger he's going to show people. So he braids a whip. He stands up. He walks into the temple, and he starts cracking the whip to scare the animals out, and he starts flipping over tables, saying, this is a house of prayer, and you've turned it into a den of robbers, you brood of vipers. He was doing that stuff regularly these last few days of his life. Then they would go out, to the Mount of Olives, and he would say, keep watch, because I've just, uh, I made some people mad. I was going <laughs> to there was another word. <laughs> then he would go back into town, he would do some stuff, they would go out, and he'd say, keep watch. I did it again. And they knew, and they were keeping watch. And you remember what happened after the Passover feast, they went to the Mount of Olives, and he says, hey, keep watch, and they fall asleep, and what happens? Some people come along and they arrest Jesus. Peter chops a dude's ear off. Jesus sticks it back on his head. Nothing special. I mean, just everyday occurrences, apparently. These are Jesus' people. They're the ones that he has experienced life with. They're the ones who have been together in good times, when they're celebrating at weddings, when he's turning water into wine. And they're the ones who are there when he says, Hey, Zacchaeus, come down out of that tree and let's go to your place. And they're the ones who were there when the kid falls to the ground and is shaking with some sort of, uh, some, some sort of something's wrong. And Jesus looks at the dad and says, Hey, how long has this been going on? And heals the kid. They were the ones that were there when he sends them out two by two and they come back and they say, hey Jesus, there's a dude out there casting out demons in your name and we don't know who he is. You need to make him stop. And he goes, no. Listen, if he's not against me, he's for me. 
which is challenging to me because I like people who think the way I think, right? But there are people all over the world that call themselves Christians who practice it a little bit differently. We're all on the same team. If they're not against Jesus, they're for Him. These are Jesus people. And He knows a big thing is about to happen and Passover is like Thanksgiving to a Jew. It's, a big, it's way, way bigger than Thanksgiving. But it's a big, big deal. It's who you gather your people with you for Passover. The people you need. Your community. All of those words we just heard, you gather those people with you. And you have this meal. And you remember that you were enslaved, but you're free because of God. Who's your community? Who are the people that came to see you when your kids were born? Or adopted? Or fostered? Who were the ones who came? Who are the people that you call when something really cool just happened in your life? And it, You know that feeling, right? Like you have a great experience and you're by yourself and you're like, Oh man, I wish somebody was here. Who are the people you wish were there? When you're just down and you don't know what to do, who do you call? That's your community. That's who Jesus was saying, I've been wanting to have this meal with you for a long time because I need you because something big is about to happen. Listen to what he says next. He took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it amongst yourselves, for I tell you, from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Did you know bread is a big stinking deal in the Bible? Jesus was born where? Bethlehem translate to, translates to bread village. We're told that Jesus is the bread of life. God says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Anybody ever seen Gladiator, the movie? There's a scene in Gladiator. It's not a big deal. They don't say anything about it. You just catch a glimpse of it. But it's my favorite part of the whole movie you can see they're uh, in the Colosseum and the crowd is standing up and cheering and they're throwing loaves of bread up into the crowd because they needed someone to stand up and cheer because Caesar was coming in. Nobody was going to stand and cheer for Caesar. He was enslaving people, taxing people with ridiculous amounts of money, literally starving people. But they thought they needed bread, so they were throwing it up into the stands. And then Jesus says things like, man doesn't live on bread, but on the words from the mouth of God. I am the bread of life. You think that made Caesar happy? Have you ever been to a football stadium or baseball stadium where the crowd starts to get quiet and they go around with an air can and shooting t-shirts up? So you stand up and you like start freaking out because you think you need a (laughs) t-shirt. We think we need things that we don't need. What we need is the bread of life. 
What we need is to hear the words of God. We don't need t-shirts. We don't need the stuff that we think we need. That's actually what offering is about at church on Sundays. I've heard before that there's a church that cheers when the pastor says, can the ushers come forward? Don't cheer today because I'll know you're doing it just because I told this story. (laughs) Do it next week. But they cheer because they understand this is a way that we are freed from thinking we need this stuff. We don't need this stuff. We are freed from our greed by God by giving us this discipline, this difficult thing to do of giving some stuff away. We recognize, I don't need this the way I thought I need it. That's how we grow deeper in Christ as disciples, is by practicing some of these things that are not fun and aren't easy. But as we do them, we recognize in the doing of something, we recognize the truth of it, and the truth sets us free, and then we cheer when we get to offer something. Bread of life. And he did the same thing with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But see, the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table. That is by far my favorite past verse in this whole section of Scripture. The, see, the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table. Why do you think that is my favorite? Is because it gives me hope. If you think about the people that Jesus says, you're my people, you're who I need with me when a big thing is about to happen. He's got Thomas, who we've turned into a bad guy by calling him Thomas the Doubter. I actually have an icon of him in my office because he's one of my heroes. He's Thomas the Thinker, in my mind. I don't think he doubted Jesus. I think he doubted the people he was with. He probably was saying, like, oh wait, you said this guy that we know is dead walked through a door that was closed and you physically touched him, I think you've been eating moldy bread is what I think. (laughs) And I think Thomas, the fact that Jesus invites him in, is giving us permission to say, I don't know everything that I think I know, and it is actually okay to ask questions. Because that drives us deeper into our faith sometimes. So he's got Thomas with him. And he's got Peter. Remember the thing that Peter does where Jesus says, uh, some one of you is going to deny me. And Peter's like, well, I know what I mean. It's going to be one of these other guys. Probably going to be Thomas. <laughs> he's always questioning everything. And Jesus goes, actually, Pete, it's going to be you. And you're going to do it three times before the cock, crow, cock crows. The third time the cock crows, Peter's like, he was right. And leaves in shame. So he's got Peter, and he's got Thomas, and he's got, he's got Judas, who had already betrayed him. That's who Jesus was talking about. Had already betrayed him, and Jesus knew about it to the point that he could call him out sitting at the table. I don't know about you, But if you betray me, I'm probably not going to invite you over to my house for dinner with all my friends. But that's the problem with Jesus. I feel like I should say to you, here's a legal waiver 
before you take communion, sign it. Because if you want to stay the same that you are right now, you need to know that taking communion is going to change you. You need to know that it's going to turn you into a person who gets yourself in trouble by accepting people that you don't think you would accept and by loving people that nobody else is going to love. And you're probably going to end up saying some things and doing some things that are not the right, the right thing to do. If you're a Democrat, it means you're going to invite Republicans to your house for dinner. And if you're a Republican, it means you're going to invite those crazy liberals to your house for dinner. And you're not really going to care at all. Because you know God's not a Republican or a Democrat, right? Amen. He's not independent. <laughs> Do you know God's not an American? God's not a Russian? God's not a Mexican? God's not a Brazilian? God's not Australian? What we learn from Jesus is that all of us, betrayers and deniers and doubters and zealots and tax collectors, all of us scum-sucking pigs, gravy-sucking pigs, are invited to this table. And that changes everything. Because if you're going to do this today know that that's who you're going to become. You're going to be the kind of person that invites everyone to the table. I got my hair cut the other day, if you can't tell. I'm going to tell you where. I hate the name of the place, but you should go check it out. It's called, what is it? Chappy Chap? Ch cheeky Chaps? Cheeky Chaps. I don't know about cheeky. I guess I'm a chap. But I was sitting in the barber chair, and you know, last week, was it last week I was telling you about how people say, like, oh, what do you do for a living? And when I lived in the Bible Belt, I would just kind of hem and haw and try to come up with a way around that question. Well, we're not in the Bible Belt. Remember that. And so I said, oh, I'm a pastor. I'm, I'm, the, I'm the new pastor at Morningstar United Methodist Church. And the barber goes, oh, I know exactly where that church is. In fact, there's a guy uh, that goes to church there that I cut his hair sometimes. I haven't seen him in a while. So you ought to go back. Um, and he goes, his name, his name is, uh, his name is Mike. He goes, you know a guy named Mike? And I'm like, raise your hand if your name is Mike. I mean, I see two for sure. So I said, I said, uh, is he a tall cowboy? And he goes, yeah. And I said, Mike Black, that's it. He's been inviting me to go to that church. That's what happens when you meet the Jesus that invites us in, regardless of whether you're the barber at Cheap Cheeky Chaps <laughs> or the waitress at IHOP that Judy Lybrook invited one of the first times I had breakfast with her. When you meet that guy, you recognize it doesn't matter where you are on whatever spectrum you want to claim. Everyone is invited to the table of Christ because that's where our lives are changed and that's where we get fed to go out and change the world. So here's the thing. My prayer is that we become that church that is full of those people that do not care 
If you're the unclean or you're the clean, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, you might prefer unsullied or sullied. (laughs) You don't care where someone is on the political spectrum, what country they're from, what their orientation is, who they're married to, who they're not married to. You recognize that Jesus is with us for all of us. And that there's a challenge in that to be in community. And I want to tell you a little bit about community. When Elise was born, I was on crutches because I was an idiot. (laughs) And blew my knee out. And Michelle had to have a C-section. And so here's what that looks like. The doctor says to Michelle, hey, you can't carry your baby, but you can hold your baby. And I know automatically I can't carry my baby because I have to have two hands on crutches. So Michelle and I would crutch to wherever Elise was crying. I would wedge the crutches under my arms, pick Elise up, hand her to Michelle. Michelle would carry her to wherever she was going with her. And then I would crutch and follow her. Michelle would hand me Elise. Michelle would sit down. Then I would hand Elise back to her. Then I could sit next to her. So you can't vacuum. You can't really use a vacuum as a crutch. And when your leg won't bend, you can't really get down to clean bathtubs. You can't weed eat. You can't mow. And when you have just had a baby, you're not feeling well, and you don't want to breathe all the fumes, and you can't do all that kind of stuff anyway. So I've been told. (laughs) And one day we were sitting at the house, and I hear doors slamming outside, multiple doors, and I thought, who came to see the baby? Because you know how it is. You're tired, and you just want to kind of hang out. And so we get up and look, and it's our people. And I hear the sound of a two-stroke weed eater and hedge trimmers and a mower. And I hear people coming in saying, with cleaning supplies, saying, hey, we're here to clean your toilets. And I wanted to say, like, nope, not doing that. Also, get out of my yard. I'm calling the cops, kid. (laughs) But if I did that, I'd take away the opportunity for my people to serve me because I also want to serve them. Community looks like when you hurt your friend's feelings and they call you and say, hey, we need to talk. Community looks like when you miss a few weeks of something that you've committed to be at or a few days of something you've committed at, committed to be at and you get a text message that says, Hey, where have you been? Not like, oh, hey, just miss seeing you around. Where have you been? You said you'd be here. That's community. That's what happens here. Community, communion, God, Jesus, go, serve, love.